<laughs> so Jesus, uh, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand those words. Um, help us to be like those people uh, by following you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello to the 11 o'clock service and middle schoolers, high schoolers. Thank you for joining us at 11. You guys, 945, great to see all of you here. Uh, if you're a veteran, could you just raise your hand? Because we want to thank you. It is Veterans Day. So thank you. Very much appreciate your service. Same for you veterans at 11 o'clock. I want to start by saying thank you to you as a church. Y'all are just so awesome. And I love you. My whole family loves you. You're great. As you know, my dad died uh, 10 days ago. And I do not care how old you are. Losing a parent is a very, very painful uh, experience, especially a man I loved and respected so much. Hard for my whole family, but you guys have been great. You've sent cards and texts and emails to su- of support and prayer. You've made meals. You've brought cookies, right? Like pity cookies are the best cookies, right? And I wasn't here last week, but, but my wife was here, and, and you guys were great. When someone would approach her, she'd say, don't look sad, or I'll start to, start to cry. So y'all would smile and say, sorry for your loss. <laughs> so awesome, right? One of you offered to buy me a cat to comfort me. I signed that person up for a pastoral care course. There is no such thing as an emotional support cat, right? But you guys are just an awesome church. Thank you. And we feel loved. And my parents' church in Richland has been amazing. And so I have seen this week the best of the church on both sides of the mountains, which coincidentally is what we have been scheduled to talk about this Sunday for months, the church at its best. We've been going through the Bible this fall, and today's text from the, from the book of Acts is the last sermon in this series. Now, some of you right now may go, wait, wait, last, well, what about the last book of the Bible, Revelation? Don't you worry your pretty Presbyterian heads about that. <laughs> because come January, we're going to do a whole sermon series on the book of Revelation, right? But I know, there's the, the others, the, I know, nine o'clock service did the same thing. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know what that means. Are you excited? Are you? I don't know. We'll see in January. Excited. Okay. So let's do a review of where we've been. So the last 10 weeks. In the beginning, God created us to be with him, but we ran away. But God never gives up. So he launches a rescue plan and he says to Abraham, I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is, God would bless them in order to form and the nation, Abraham and his descendants, who become the nation of Israel, bless them so that they would form an alternative society grounded in justice, mercy, and love, who would then carry God's love and better way of living to the world. Instead, they end up as slaves in Egypt until Moses got them out. Then God gave them his law intended to form them into that alternative society to carry God's love to the world, right? But they, but they didn't do it. So through the prophets, God warned them about two things. One, stop worshiping idols. Two, start to care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant in your midst. They refused, so God sent them into exile in Babylon to purify them. Seventy years later, they came back. Then God came himself in human form in the person of Jesus to do three things. First, 
Show us what God is really like. Second, die to pay the penalty for our sins. And third, to make all things new. That is the Bible in 90 seconds. Okay, you got it? And uh, there's lots of people standing in the, in the back. So there's a few seats up here and uh, up in front. You're going to have to come up front. I know. It's really up. And, or you can stand back there, whatever you want to do. And maybe if we squish together, we need a bigger room. Hallelujah. And we know that. So we are beginning to work on a bigger room because this service especially has been very, very full. So we're going to work on that. Anyway, that was the Bible in 90 seconds. Jesus came to do those three things, including make all things new. He called it the kingdom of God to heal divisions, to make marriages strong, to eliminate poverty, to connect people to God. And do you know what his plan is to do those things? You are. You are his plan. And me, the church, not the institution, church, not the building, but a community of people on mission together to bring Jesus healing wherever they go. That's his plan. What do you think? Good plan? Yes. You said yes? I think God could have come up with a better plan, frankly. (laughs) Like, I think he just needed to stick with that a little while longer. No bad ideas, God, but just, you know, keep going, right? But here's the thing. His top priority is relationship with us. So he wants to do this with us. Church, not the institution, but church the movement, church the community, church the verb. In the passage we read today, after Jesus' resurrection, God sends the Holy Spirit to create the first church to do what Israel was always supposed to do but didn't do. See, the Bible says that we, the church, are the new Israel, meant to be that alternative society that carries God's love to the world. And the passage that we read shows us a couple of characteristics that God desires in his church. And the first is this, church is a reconciled community. This happens, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday, right? And this particular Pentecost happens 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And the text says there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation there to celebrate Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, and then the disciples start to talk. But it says each person heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't aren't, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Elamites, residents of Pontus and Asia, Egypt, Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues. And if you look at a map, there's where all of those places are. People came from Asia, Europe, Africa, white, brown, black. See, racial reconciliation is so crucial to God that he delays the start of his church 50 days until the day that every race could be part of that first church. And then they all started to understand each other, which is a breaking down of all of those barriers, an undoing of the Tower of Babel. Remember, God said to Abraham, I'll bless you and your descendants, and through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. God always intended his movement to be multi-ethnic, multiracial, multicultural. This is what it means to be church. It is so important to God, he made sure the first church was this community. See, Christianity undercuts tribalism, undercuts racism, because it's the only religion in the world that says that what reconciles us to God is not our good works, but that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, which means none of us can feel superior to anyone else because all of us are sinners in need of God's grace. 
And the fact that those early Christians were able to reconcile all of these different races that had hated each other for centuries was a miracle, and it shows the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I love about what we're doing here once a month, worshiping together with New Hope Revival, the African worshiping community that worships here on Sunday mornings up in, uh, up in the upper campus. But once a month here in modern worship, we worship together with with new hope. And I love it, right? It's beautiful. We've got quiet Presbyterians and extroverted Pentecostal Africans together in one worship service, right? And it is great to be a quiet Presbyterian. If you're a quiet Presbyterian, you just be quiet and Presbyterian all you need to be, right? And it's great to be a Pentecostal African and be that, right? We're not judging each other. You need to worship my way. No, 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 no. We are no longer monocultural like that. We're a tossed salad, Okay, lots of different ingredients. And some of us are the peppers and the tomatoes and some of us are just nuts, right? (laughs) But everyone is just being themselves, right? Everyone, we're just all in this together. It is a step toward being this church. And I'm so excited that we're doing it. Second, and we're going to need a bigger room (laughs) because I think that people want that. And this thing's just going to grow. So we're going to need a bigger room, right? Second, church is a power-filled, spirit-filled community. The text says that the Holy Spirit came with wind and fire, both images of power. And as I said, sometimes that power is loud and exuberant, and sometimes that power is just a quiet but still powerful feeling in your heart. I experienced this last week. Even in losing my dad, The Holy Spirit was so clearly present there. It gave me and my siblings courage. It gave us hope. It even gave us joy, even as we were watching our father die, because the Holy Spirit was there. And my siblings and I saw Jesus work in literally miraculous ways. One particular miraculous way that left my brother saying, I will never doubt that God exists again. And if you're wondering what that was and what happened, well, that's too bad for you, because I'm not telling that story today. So you're just going to have to keep coming to church until I tell that story because it's a good story. In the text, it says the disciples are so overcome with the Holy Spirit's power, the text says some made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. If we follow Jesus, some people will think we're crazy and they will ridicule us. That will happen. But we'll also be filled with power and joy and hope as I was even in losing my dad because of the Holy Spirit. Back in September, uh, my oldest daughter had her wisdom teeth pulled, and I got the fun of taking her home while she was still loopy from the sedation. And she kept calling me old man, right? She never calls me that. (laughs) Call me old man. And she she said, old man, listen, listen, old man, this stuff is amazing. (laughs) Old man, I'm going to get me some of this stuff. I am going to have my wisdom teeth removed every week. Old man, are you filming this? Because you need to be filming this. Okay, the Holy Spirit is like that, but better. Okay, gives us real joy, lasting joy, not artificial joy. So, but, they, but people think they're crazy, so they say, ah, they've had too much wine. So then the apostle Peter gets up and he says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I guess he'd never heard of mimosas, right? <laughs> 
No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Notice he didn't say, I'll dribble out my spirit on all people. I'll pour it out. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, men and women. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I always think that's kind of funny that the young guys get the visions and the old guys, we dream dreams. Maybe because we nap a lot. I don't know what that's... (laughs) See... The Holy Spirit makes bored people excited, depressed people joyful, turns our failures into successes and re-energizes our lives. So let's not try to contain the Holy Spirit, tame the Holy Spirit, box him in, right? Let's do what he nudges us to do, even if some people will think we're drunk or look silly. Uh, Evan, our worship leader, sent me a quote from a writer named Michael Green that I love a lot. The quote said, We continue to sin against Pentecost, continue to try to explain away the disruptive descent of the Spirit. And you know why? Because the Acts 2 threat that one Sunday we might all gather here in our bolted-down pews with our smug reasonableness, our bourgeois respectability, only to be grabbed by our collective collar, shaken up, thrown into confusion, intoxicated, is not a suggestion we welcome. Most of us come here to be confirmed in what we already think, not to be dislodged. But be careful. The wind blows where it will. God's spirit will not be housebroken. And your soul might catch fire even yet, even here. And I would hate to see nice, respectable people like you with mortgages go out of here drunk. No, I would not want that. (laughs) But Bell Press, I bet you want that. I bet you want that. See, we were not meant to be prim, proper, pitiful, pale, pastry, puny, paltry, piddly Presbyterians. Okay? We were meant to be powerful, potent, persuasive, passionate, prevailing, perky, promising Presbyterians. Right? Church is a reconciled, spirit-filled, power-filled community that, last point, reaches out to others. At the end of this passage, 3,000 people become followers of Jesus, and they form the most radical, counterculture, world-changing community in all of human history. It says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Because, see, Jesus making new of all things includes eliminating poverty. They cared for widows and orphans, risked their lives to care for plague victims, reconciled races that had hated each other, and on and on. And the text says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved because as it turns out, that way of living is powerfully attractive to a lot, a lot of people. And this is for all of us. Any income level, older, younger. In a minute, I'm going to tell you a story of how a sixth grader changed 15 people's lives, including mine, for the better. This is for all of us. I have known prisoners who, when they get to know Jesus, leave their life of crime. Materialistic people who, when they get to know Jesus, they start giving away what they've got to help others and find more joy doing that than they ever had making a lot of money. Marriages transformed, families transformed, depressed people brought to joy. Jesus changes lives, and it's our job to introduce people to him. And we do that in two ways. First, collectively, as a church, together. By giving part of our time, part of our money, the Bible says 10%, it's called a tithe. To help people know Jesus' healing. And so many of you do this, and we are so grateful because you are so generous. And you make a lot of lives get, get changed because of what you do. Kid Reach, Jubilee Reach, Eastside Academy, Baby Basics, all breaking cycles of poverty. One student said, if it weren't for Eastside Academy, I would be dead now or in prison because that's where my family is. 
We're helping refugees in Greece and Lebanon with food, education, housing. A lot of them are coming to Christ because of it. Recently, our our high school director, Stephen, got an email from a mom thanking him because her daughter got connected here to our church through Banjam, which is where middle schoolers and high schoolers work on their music, learn how to lead worship, right? And that's helped her daughter discover her passion for leading worship. And through youth group and camps and mentors, her daughter's faith has just really grown and really taken off here. And so the mom emailed Stephen to thank him and said, I am so thankful for Bell Press. It's a home for my daughter. And she always comes back from youth group so happy, so filled with joy. Thank you. When you give, you change people's lives. So thank you. And there's information in the bulletin about how you can do that. A commitment card we'd love for you to pray over and fill it out and, and drop it in the offering today or in the next couple of weeks. We'd appreciate that. One of the worship leaders from New Hope Revival, you saw him last week, his name is Adrian. He told us a story a couple of weeks ago um, about how he was at a worship conference in Canada with mostly African people. And a Rwandan woman came up to him because somehow she had started to follow him on social media. And Adrian had posted a short video of one of our joint worship sessions here with, with, with New Hope. And this woman said that her husband, her children, and her parents were all killed in the genocide in Rwanda. And she said that there were white European soldiers standing by watching it, and they did nothing to stop it. And some European countries supported the government that was doing the killing. So she said, I have a lot of difficulty with white people. But I saw your post a few weeks ago, and you were singing at a megachurch full of white people. And they were singing in Kinyawanda. And so Adrian explained about how we worship together once a month and sing in both languages to break down barriers between African and American, black and white. And she was crying And she said, to see white people singing in our language, I never thought I would see that. It healed my heart. When you give, you heal the world. So thank you. And then the second way that we reach out is individually, as we bring Jesus healing where we live, work, play, or learn. And I know when we say that, A lot of you are like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And we're working on ways to kind of maybe help train you to do that. But I think you know how to do this more than you think you do. Because see, it's really this simple. It's praying every day, Holy Spirit, help me see the opportunities today to bring your healing wherever I go. And then nudge me to do something. And if you're you're not noticing the nudges, then ask the Holy Spirit to shove you. Okay? And if that still doesn't work, ask the Holy Spirit to kick you in your blessed assurance until you figure out that every day we have an opportunity to do this, right? Because that's what it means to be a church. If we aren't reaching out, you know what we are? An ingrown toenail, right? And we're going to get infected. And again, so many of you are doing this. So many of you do this. So, so thank you. My dad leaves behind three kids and 10 grandchildren, all of whom are followers of Jesus, And all of that started years ago when I was a baby and my dad was a sixth grade teacher. And one year there were several students he had who just were just different students. More joy, more integrity. If someone was sitting alone at lunch, one of these students would sit with them. They would never join in ridiculing other people. And there was one sixth grader in particular, I'll call her Kate, who really stood out. 
because she just lived so joyfully, so differently. And so one day my dad asked Kate, hey, what, what, you're really a different kind of person. Why is that? And Kate, a sixth grader, said to my dad, her teacher, well, Mr. Dudley, I, I think it's because of Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I try to be like Jesus, and I go to church. Do you go to church, Mr. Dudley? And my dad said, no. And she said, oh, Mr. Dudley, you really should go to church. You, Mr. Dudley, you would like church. You should go to my church. You should come to my church. And Kate just kept inviting him and inviting him and inviting him day after day after day. And because of the quality of her life, my dad eventually went to church and became a follower of Jesus. Now, during my teenage years, my whole family and I, we didn't go to church for lots of different reasons, so there was a gap there, but eventually we all made our way back to church, and all of that started with Kate, sixth grader. Kate followed the nudges of the Holy Spirit where she was already every day, didn't add anything to her schedule. She was going to be at school. She was just going to be at school differently. Follow the Spirit's nudge to live differently, sit with lonely kids, invite her teacher to church over and over again. Kate did those things that provoked the question, the answer to which could only be Jesus, so that when my dad asked, she pointed to him. Which started a journey that led my parents, me, my siblings, and ten grandchildren to Jesus. And in the special way that God weaves our stories together, Kate's daughter and son-in-law go to this church. And sometimes Kate shows up here as well. Kate was a spirit-filled reconciler reaching out and changed 15 lives for the better. And if I have ever said or done anything that has been helpful to you, you have a sixth grader called Kate to thank for it. So here's your homework. Here's your homework, all right? First, pray this week, every day. Jesus, this is, how, this is how your day becomes an adventure. Holy Spirit, show me the opportunities I have today to bring your healing wherever I am. No, I'm sorry. That's not the first one. The first one is that. I just take, I gave you the second one. First one, pray to experience the Holy... Oh, now we're all screwed up. Okay. Pray to experience the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when I don't look at my notes. Pray to experience the Holy Spirit. And then wait and listen because if we're always busy... We're not going to experience him. And then pray, Lord, show me today how I can bring your healing wherever I am. Just show me, like Kate did. Because that's church at its best. The whole Bible is about a God in passionate pursuit of a creation that is running away from him. But God never gives up. And he reached out to us in the Garden of Eden. And he reached out to us through the nation of Israel. And he reached out to us by coming himself in the person of Jesus. And he is now reaching out to the world through us, his church, to heal the world. I want to close with something that was written by a non-Christian to Christians about why he and his friends are leaving the church. Not this church, but the church, capital C, right? And it's a little hard to hear, but there's also a call to action that I know you guys are going to appreciate. And this is what he said. He said, dear Christians, the coffee bar, the uber-cool teen center at your churches are all top-notch, and I like them, but it feels sometimes that most of your time, money, and energy is about luring people to where you are instead of reaching people where they already are. Rather than stepping out into the neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces around you and partnering with what God's already doing there, you seem content to wait for the sinful world to come to you. Your greatest mission field is just a few miles or feet off your campus, and you don't realize it. And then the other thing is, y'all choose lousy battles. We know you like to fight, church. That's obvious. The problem is your battles are too darn small. 
Fast food protests, hobby store outrage may manufacture urgency among the already convinced, but every day we see a world suffocated by poverty, racism, violence, hunger, and in the face of that stuff, you get awfully, frighteningly quiet. We wish you were as courageous in those fights because then we'd feel like going to war with you. Church, we need you to stop being warmongers with the trivial and pacifists in the face of the terrible. You talk a lot about love, but more and more your brand of love seems to be about filtering out the spiritual riffraff, which sadly includes many of us. We see a Jesus in the Bible who hung out with prostitutes and outcasts and loved them right there, but that doesn't seem to be your your cup of tea anymore. Church, can you love us even if we don't check all the doctrinal boxes? Can you love us if we cuss and drink and get tattoos? We want to matter to you. We want you to hear us before you debate us. Show us that your love and your God are real. Church, give us a reason to stay. I've relayed my frustration with your insider religious rhetoric, and you've responded by insisting the real issue is that I'm sinful, heretical, immoral, not biblically literate enough. Heck, most days I agree with you. Maybe you're right, church. Maybe I am the problem. Maybe it's me, but me is all I'm capable of being right now, and that's where I was really hoping that you would meet me. It's here in my flawed, screwed-up, wounded, shell-shocked, doubting, disillusioned meanness that I've been waiting for you to step in with the supposedly relentless, audacious love of Jesus thing I hear so much about and make it real. We're weary of feeling like nothing more than a religious agenda, an argument to win, a point to make, a notch on your salvation belt to pad your end of your stat sheets. We've been hoping for you to stop preaching at us and fighting us and sin-diagnosing us long enough simply to hear us even if we are the problem. Even if we are the woman in adultery or the rebellious prodigal, we can't be anything else right now in this moment. And we need a church big enough and tough enough and loving enough, not just for us as we might one day be, but for us as we are now. So yes, church, even if you're right, even if we're totally wrong, even if we're all petty and self-centered and hypocritical, and I'll say it's sinful, we're still the ones searching for a place where we can be known and belong, a place where it feels like God lives and you're the ones who can show it to us. Even if the problem is me, it's me you're supposed to be reaching, church. So for the love of God, reach already. Will you just please reach? And Bell Press, I know your heart. And I know you want to reach because this church has been reaching for 63 years. Reaching to drug addicts in the 60s and 70s. Building a facility in Rwanda to help street kids. Auto angels, baby basics, good neighbor team, our youth programs, helping so many people of every age connect with Jesus. We don't do it perfectly. We make mistakes. But I know your heart and I know you want to reach. Church is a reconciled, spirit-filled, power-filled community reaching out to the world around them. So Bell Press, for the love of God, literally, let's keep reaching until the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen? God, you are the God who reaches out to us, and we are so grateful Thank you for coming yourself, Jesus, to reach to us. Fill us, empower us. We know there are so many people out there in our school, in our office, in our neighborhood, the soccer team, wherever we are, Jesus, people who need to know your love, who want to know your love, who want to know that they are cared for by the God who made them. So Jesus, thank you for reaching to us. Help us feel your love so we can give it away to others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.